Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk to some amazing, incredible people from the world of comedy. Now today's guest is a mixture of Jason Statham and the notorious B.I.G. He's been a comedian that's been gone for 12 years. His name is Wilson Milton. Am I supposed to talk now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 your Arnie was pretty good, but um, I could do a Sylvester Stallone. My impressions are all very old impressions, you know, like... It's very difficult to do an impression nowadays that everybody knows. You know, back in the day, there was very few shows and programs, so everybody watched the same things. But now there's such a wide variety of stuff, like Netflix, Amazon, Disney, all of that stuff, that you can be really into a show and only 100,000 people watch it, you know. So you do the impression and people go, who's that, you know. But if you're going to do Sylvester Stallone, in about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get it. <laughs> what are you talking about? Come on. We were the two action heroes of the 90s back in the day. <laughs> What's going on? Get down. Okay. Got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for coming on the podcast, Wilson Milton. Just tell us a bit about your story and how you became a comic and what leads you to here today. Okay, I'll tell you how I started, basically. So I um, I was trying to get into acting when I left school. I went to college to do performing arts. And on one of the courses, I was always funny, by the way. I was, I was always the class clown in school, you know, it was... Every parent's evening was the same. Uh, the teacher would basically say, if he wasn't the class clown, he'd be a very bright boy. And what he didn't realize was I was already a bright boy, and that's why I was the class clown, because I didn't really have to do any, rehearse, uh, any homework or any of that stuff. I just done the tests on the day and passed. I was top set, top set student. Uh, without any effort and if I'd have put some effort in I'd have been quite clever I think but I didn't um, so I was always the class clown and then I, I wanted to get into acting so I went to college done performing arts and then on that course at performing arts there was one segment which was comedy and the tutor for the course one day just explained how stand-up comedians become stand-up comedians his name was Carlos and he said you'll go to a pub or a club and do five minutes for free and then if you're funny they might invite you back to do longer and they might pay you so when he said that and i was about 18 in my mind i thought oh, i would like to try that one day like i didn't think oh i want to be a comedian i just well i would like to try it one day and then when i was 25 i used to hang out with a guy in sydenham in south london he lived right near a comedy club called The Hob in Forest Hill. Oh. So, you know it? You know The Hob? Yeah. Yeah, where are you based? Well, I'm based in Wimbledon. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I heard a lot of big things. I heard it was like the King's Head and it really had a big, it was a real big thing before. 
and now yeah, it, before it was closed. Yeah, it is closed down now. I saw quite a few big acts there. I saw Mickey Flanagan there uh, trying his material before his out-out tour. You know, he's, it was it's only small. It only held about 50, maybe 70 people at a push. But, yeah, it was quite quite well known. And um, just one day I went past there and there was a sign outside. It said, new act night on a Monday. And every other Monday was new act night. And then alternate Mondays was... Uh, experienced acts doing new material so I used to be down that way anyway at my mate's house and we were just a couple of stoners basically throwing one liners at each other on the sofa laughing our heads off uh, so I saw that new act sign I said oh let's go watch the new act night and see how funny people are and then we'll know whether we we're gonna sign up ourselves kind of thing so we went and watched this new act night and everybody was rubbish basically because everyone was new but i didn't know anything about how anything worked and i just thought oh they were all shit uh <laughs> we can do better than that so we both signed up individually for a month's time and we had to write five to seven minutes of material uh spent a month writing stuff down went back a month later and both done seven minutes and we were shit as well so <laughs> that one gig there was like a couple of little lines in there that got like a couple of titters a little bit of giggling and i thought oh that there's something there in that line there maybe and then i'll, I'll say that again i'll write something something else and then about three gigs in on my third gig i went to a place called the cavendish arms in Stockwell. Do you know that oh yeah legendary yeah and um that's a well-known new act gig uh, great for a new act you know everyone has to bring someone with them um it's one of the better bringer gigs as they call them where you have to bring an audience member so there's always a crowd and on that third gig i just i said everything i had to say but i, I threw it out with with, a, with an aggression and a confidence about me and basically everything i said landed like there was laughter and every time i said a joke and the buzz i got was just ridiculous i came home to my dad who's uh, a bit of a hippie so has dabbled in drugs if you like and uh i said to him i'm telling you now there's no drug like what just happened to me tonight and from then i could never i couldn't stop i couldn't um, it's my it's my drug basically and um that's how i got into stand-up yeah it's quite something isn't it the, the 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 drug of making people laugh like it's when it when it feels when you really hit it and do well, it is. It, there's not really anything like it. There really isn't. No, I mean, it, it. I still can't work out who, who it's for. You know, like I, I sometimes wonder, am I, am I doing it because I like making other people happy, or is it that that laughter makes me feel loved? Maybe that's what I'm chasing: is love, be to be loved, to feel loved. Or, or or do I just like making other people happy? Or is it a combination of both? I don't know. I don't know if that question will ever be answered, you know? Hmm. It yeah. makes you feel special and important. Like you've 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 done something like you've made other people's days happy. And you've 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 had something, like you've done something impactful it feels. Yeah, I guess it does. Um it's it's a weird one because also 
over the years, what I've learned is that, yeah, the good gigs are great. You go and you get laughs and you go home again, but you actually don't get any better from good gigs. You never improve. You can you can go to a gig, take the roof off, everything lands, and you leave again after that gig in exactly the same position as you were before the gig. Whereas if you go to a gig and struggle, you got stuff. To, you've learned something. You definitely have learned at least one thing from that gig that you struggled at. You know. So yeah, we all want the good gigs, the easy gigs, but actually, it's it's the ones where you struggle that make you capable of having the good gigs in the end. With with being a pro comic as you are, what so. When you have the big gigs, what are they like? But what, what's what's general the middle ground with it, and what's like the gigs where they go badly? Like how, most of the time, what does that feel like when you, as a pro comic, like you have the, how big is your high in terms of storming a roof off? Because that changes, isn't it? As you gig and you get better, what you consider a gig to be storming changes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have quite high standards of what I would consider a, a gig to be stormed. So. If, if everything, not if, like I can have everything land, every single joke lands with a big wave of laughter that hits me, you know, fills the room. And then one thing I say doesn't land. And I'll come off and feel like the gig was average, even though it wasn't, you know, I'll come watch the video back and go, oh, it was so funny, actually. And that bit when I watched the video back was minuscule in comparison to the rest of the gig. You didn't really notice, but at the time it, it really makes me feel like, ah, oh, that, that really took the, the shine off of that gig. You know, it was, it felt totally average now because that one thing didn't land as the rest did. So for me, everything, every single punchline has to land. And it, even that isn't enough sometimes because the laughter isn't long enough. It's just, <laughs> I sound like a complete dick. Um, yeah, so if the laughter goes like this, ha, 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 and they're like, it's as if like, ha, ha, yeah, but what next? I need the laughter to be ha, 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 and there's people still giggling as I'm starting the next joke, you know, and the, that's why I love black gigs. When black people laugh, they laugh, you know, they oh. rock forward, their hands are up in the air, they're on their head, they're, they're they're howling basically you know so for me smashing the gig is literally smashing the gig you know but then it's weird because afterwards i i can't really cope with people saying well done it's, it's a strange <laughs> i don't know what to say in, in return like, oh you were really funny and i'm like uh, uh, I just, uh i'm awkward you know i don't i don't know how to deal with the compliments I'm a strange person, really, I think. As we're talking this through, it feels like therapy. You know, I didn't expect this to happen. <laughs> it, to, to be honest, it does, does sometimes feel like that in with the podcast, like for myself yeah. and the other comic on there. It's, it's, it, it feels that like we're unloading on a lot of cobwebs in our heads. Yeah, yeah. It's good, though. I think that's, um, that's what comedians, uh, that's how they're built, isn't it? They're just... They got, they got cobwebs in the first place. That's why, <laughs> that's why they put out this facade of of a uh, funny clown. You know, we're all we're all broken in some way. What, yeah, what, what that is. What you said there reminds me of um, 
a clown that I had on the podcast. So he's oh, a, right. he's a, his name is Rennie Bazinet, and he yeah. used to be a big clown in with Cirque du Soleil. And he says a lot of the things that make a good clown makes you fail or have problems in everyday life. Like he always forgets where to tie his shirt or something and he looks like a fool or he when he when he's always spilling coffee on his shirt but that makes him a good clown he like simple things that for other people he can't do but those weaknesses yeah. are what make him a good clown interesting yeah yeah is that the same with comedy like you're like i know that jack Cowell said it in his britain's got talent thing he says that your weaknesses are your strengths in comedy is that kind of what it's like you feel in stand-up comedy as well I never really thought about that you know but that's a very good point yeah that is I like that um, because I guess yeah a lot of jokes are based on like especially me I guess my persona is like um, uh, thick council estate uneducated I guess that's my persona so and some of my punchlines are me appearing to be stupid you know and in everyday life, yeah, not so good, but stupid on the stage, yeah, funny, hilarious. So, yeah, I guess that, that there's a lot in that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I like that. I never really thought about it. Is it also a, an exaggeration, what you put on stage, of your weakness? Like, that's his yeah, 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 that is exactly right. Yeah, it is an exaggeration. Um, sometimes it's a total lie, to be honest with you. You know, it just, it, you play on what, I guess, other people may think you are. Uh, like we said at the beginning of this my accent the way I speak is you know people have an image or an idea of what I probably am so you have to play on it yeah that's yeah, yeah. that reminds me yeah when I when I play on stage I play the complete idiot like I I, I completely make fools like I do things completely wrong but with some bits of it they are deliberate but a lot of people can't pick up when I'm being deliberately daft or when I'm not being deliberately daft. Yeah, yeah. You, you're obviously a character actor, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're not secretly Zorro, are you? <laughs> oh, I wish I was, uh, but no, it, it it's a funny thing. So I, I was in that clown school, I was playing it, and one of the things that worked well was when I was being in gibberish Spanish and I was doing funny exercises. And I've always had a... I don't know. I've always had a wanted to play some sort of character as a Latin dance, greasy Spanish dancer. You know, I've always seen those films. I thought it would be cool to be one of those guys dancing with the ladies. Go, hello, senorita, let's do. Here we go. And I, I mean, it's funny already, isn't it? <laughs> Just the accent's funny. You know, it's already yeah. It 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 does it does seem to be a bit of a benefit in it to foreign acts. Not now. I'm sounding like UKIP here. But it does, it does, it does add something to who to some to, to your act. If you are from another nation, you can make things sound funny that aren't funny than if you're just a regular. Yeah, yeah. I I always think that about. Um, yeah, I think it's, maybe it's the same for British people going abroad as well, like it's America. But like when a Canadian comic maybe comes to Britain or somebody isn't British, they're Australians, whatever, they can make really easy reference. It's like a, it's like a, 
golden pass card. You know, they can make easy references about British culture, like shops, whatever. And the audiences will laugh a lot more because they think, oh, even if that comic has lived here for 20, 30 years, the audience don't know that. They think maybe they've only just come over from Australia or New Zealand or whatever. And then they're making that, that reference to, I don't know, Primark or whatever it is. And the audience laugh like, oh, they know all about Primark. <laughs> you know, it's, but it's like a, it's like an easy pass. Or a, I just wonder if it's like that for a British person who goes to do America, stand up in America maybe, I don't know, or Australia. Yeah, I think possibly. I think when, yeah, I think so too. I, th I think... Um... I know of a few like British-speaking comics that have got a few gigs because of their accent, and even when I was a lot worse of a comic than I am now, there were chances where I was offered a few gigs in New York because of my accent. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You you mean you were worse than you are now at some point? Ha 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 ha! Oh, you haven't seen it yet. I mean, I mean, if I bomb on stage, I may make you question humanity. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How do you cope when you're bombing? What do you? What's your? Uh, do, do, do you go? Do you go even? For me, if I'm if I'm going to go down, I'm I'm going to really go down hard. You know, I'm taking I'm taking the gig with me. <laughs> I wish I did that. I, I I've. I wish. Um, I often try and do crowd work, or I try and play with the audience, or I don't know what I do. I try and try and do something different to what I'm doing. When I'm on, I try anything yeah. to try and restore it back, but I only really figure out what I did wrong or how to fix it after the gig or when I've looked at a video. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what I'm saying. You only really learn from those. Um, that I I don't know if this happens to you, but for me, if you, if if I'm having a if I'm struggling and the jokes I'm telling aren't the pre-written jokes aren't landing, my brain will just stop feeding me the material. It, it will just lock off. Like, no, I'm not giving you anything anymore because none of this is going to work. And it almost, it almost leaves me on my own to to only be able to. Then I have to speak to people. I have to start asking people in the audience questions. And at that point, sometimes the the, the class clown in me actually saves the gig, and I enjoy it because in those moments I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. I'm back to being on a council estate, bantering with people, taking the piss out of people. And sometimes things happen and words come out of my mouth and I laugh, and which in turn makes the audience laugh because I'm enjoying it. If you're enjoying it, they're enjoying it. And then afterwards, it's those gigs that at, at the time I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. But then when it isn't and you literally made it work with your actual brain, not pre-written material i enjoy it you know and and then you go oh, that that that's for me that's that's actually being a comedian you know when you when you can make it work when they do not want to hear any material and those gigs for me are actually that only really happens when it's really really rough working class people because for me there's working class and there's a, there's a class beneath the working class, which is like, well, not I'm not going to say council estate because it's not. It, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's really uneducated, but in their mind, I think they've got this 
image of what a comedian does and he comes out and he just takes the piss out of everyone and he thinks on his feet or her feet, whatever. And those those audiences, although it can be very difficult, can actually also be the, the most rewarding once you realise that they don't mind you taking the piss out of them. In fact, they want you to. Then when you've got that licence to really take the piss, then then you can really have some fun, you know. What's 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 been what's been the best what's been the best roast you've done? <laughs> the best roast. I, I can tell you a recent one. Uh, I had a gig in Luton, and um, it was in this rough pub. I, I turned up the, the foot. I think it was during the World Cup, and um, I turned up, and um, I thought oh, I must be in a separate room in this pub. So I got up to the bar, and I said, "Oh, is there comedy in here?" She said, yeah. I goes, well, where is it? And she went, it's there. And she just pointed at this little space in the middle of the pub where there was a screen down and there was about five old Indian blokes just watching the football, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is this is not what I expected. Anyway, the football finished and these five old Indian guys got up and left the pub and now there was just like, I don't know, 10, 15 people scattered around this room all over the place. And um, the MC started, had one speaker, and it was really quiet. It, it didn't really work. So they couldn't really hear him. And it was so rough, this pub, that I saw a guy do a line of cocaine off the table in the middle of the pub, not even hiding it, just in the middle. So I get introduced first on. I start doing my material and nothing's working, like nothing. It's not even little giggles, it's silent. And so then, my, like I said, my brain stops feeding me material and there's this guy strolling around the, the pub, but he's big and he's mixed race and he's like, he's strolling like, like he's something, you know. And I can't help myself sometimes. I, I actually, for some stupid reason, I, I talk to the most alpha person in the room. I said, what are you, like the uh, alpha male in the room? Uh, I said, strolling around like a silverback gorilla <laughs> right now. As I, as I said that, I thought, oh, no, I said that. And it, it sounds like I'm talking about his color, but I really wasn't. I was talking about just the way he was walking kind of thing, right? And and uh, I think he, he got it, though. He knew that is what I was saying. And I goes, what do you do? And he went, oh, I strangle people to take the piss out of me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so with that, it, everybody laughed because, like, there was a tension before that. And then he just broke the tension. And he goes, no, not really. He said, I, um, I drive diggers for a living. And then I went, oh, well, I'm ahead of you. you and then you bury people that you just strangled to death. Yeah. So he said, yeah, yeah. And we all started laughing. And then I started talking to everybody else. And... um there's this black girl on the front row and I said, what do you do? Is it only fans? And she goes, nah, I, I, this is another thing. If you're talking to an audience, if they are that rough working class audience, they will always give you extra to the question you just asked. Like middle classes will give you what you asked for. The rougher the audience is, the more information they will give you more than you asked for. So I go to her, what do you do? Only fans. And she went, no, I've been there, done that. I used to sell pictures of black women's feet with white soles. 
And I went, wow, that's that's a very niche market, isn't it? And then next to her was a white friend. And I said, what do you do? You could do only fans. I said, you could do white feet with black soles. <laughs> <laughs> and and I didn't even know I was going to say that. You know, it, it just it just popped into my head as I was speaking. So I started laughing. And then everyone was laughing. And then there was these two Jamaican guys at the back. But what I'd noticed is during the show at the beginning where nobody could hear, the two Jamaican guys were laughing at the back and they could hear for some reason. And then it made me remember, because in my day job, I, I'm a carpet fitter. So I'm in and out of people's houses all the time. And quite often there'll be like a, I don't know, a Jamaican household. And the mum will be downstairs and she'll say like really quietly, she'll shout up to the, the son or whatever. And she'll say, Junior. And I think he's never going to hear that. Junior's not going to hear that. And then Junior will come out of his room and say, yes, mum. I think, how did he hear that? You know, anyway, that popped into my head as these Jamaican guys were laughing and nobody else could hear. So I mentioned that. I was like, oh, these two Jamaican guys at the back. I said, I don't know if you guys know this, but Jamaicans have really sensitive hearing. And I've done little, just the thoughts in my head about, about Jamaicans' ears. And they were laughing at that as well. So it just made me do stuff that I, I just wouldn't have done, you know. Um, but the, 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 the peak of that was that, that line about uh, the white feet with black soles. That was my, my favourite part. Sometimes I go to a gig and I could say one line and as I've said it and it got a laugh, I just think I could just leave now and go home happy, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've only been on stage two minutes, but that line was enough. <laughs> I'm satisfied, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I don't I don't really roast people unless um, unless they deserve it, you know. I don't just start on people for no reason. I run my own gig in Ramsgate, and the other, the last show I done there actually, this is quite a funny one. There's uh, these two women in the in the audience, and I goes to them, um, "What? How you two know each other?" And they go, "Oh, we're sisters." So I said, "Oh, what are you? Are you? Have you got husbands and stuff?" And uh, once again, rough working class. So she gives me more than I asked for. She said, "No, my husband's dead, right?" And now there's like a tension in the air. So I go, oh, you created quite a tension there. And then she starts talking, but more than anyone wanted her to talk, right? So I let her talk. She went on and on and on. And when she finally finished, I said, wow. I said, no wonder your husband's dead. (laughs) 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 I just felt it was okay, you know, because um, the she'd gone on for longer than she needed to and she knew it and we knew it so everybody laughed it took the roof off of the place you know but um i guess that that was quite a harsh roast um yeah you yeah you've given me a few ideas of that that that, that must have been yeah (laughs) you bloody bloody build yeah you made a yeah that's an interesting thing what you said there because i've had something on that as well because I remember in some of the gigs that I've been doing recently, and generally when I'm trying to engage with people, I find that, yeah, definitely rough working class definitely engage quite a lot. But I also found perhaps older people, people in their mid foot, mid the mid what's middle aged, tend to engage yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. more, and That's kids true. and kids seem to yeah. seem to seem to respond well. But often yeah. I find that millennial middle class and 
Generation Z are normally a bit more held back and they may be a bit more worried about what people think. Was yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I think you're right about older people. They do. They are similar. They do. They do give away extra. Um, that's a weird. You know, when sometimes there's kids in the audience. How do you how do you cope with that? Do you, do you, is your material like child friendly or? I I'm not really a material sort of comic. I just do magic or I do I I do silly things on stage. Or oh, okay. I'm not. You know, a bit not like Vigo Ven, but sort of what more physical stuff. But right, right. to follow on, for, but I do MC a bit as well. Uh, yeah. but I do it as me, not as the character. Um, but the kid, there's, there was one girl at one of the gigs I was doing a Brighton Fringe show. She, yeah, she just had no filter. She was just bloody hilarious, and mm-hmm. like um, she just said all sorts of funny things, like. Um, What's it called? I was doing something on my laptop on stage with it, and she was asking me, "What's the password?" I said, "I don't know." And she, and then the mum said, "Don't tell her because she'll remember forever." But then then she said, "Because I remember my mum's password." And then I asked, "What's your mum's password?" And then the mum puts the mouth over the kid, the girl's mouth, but she said, "I want to say it." And then the mum says, um, "I changed it already." And then the daughter says, "No, you didn't." <laughs> Then she, um, I was doing magic, and she said, "When are you going to do your magic?" I said, "I'll do it in a minute." And she said, "Well, it's not working, is it?" <laughs> but yeah, yeah, kids are bloody brilliant. I, I also heard from Tin and Duyeb. He said that he, he had some brutal heckles. Like um, one of them said, "If my, if I was ruling the world, I'd invade Finland," and then. Tin and asked him where does it come from and why and he says my brother's called Finn and I hate him <laughs> but <laughs> yeah I heard I, one of my favourite um, stories about a heckle was uh, I don't really get brutally heckled but I, I like hearing stories about heckles um, it was apparently it was Stephen K. Amos that was on stage and he'd started his show, and then these these two guys come in late. And um, as as they're coming in, he says to them, "Why are you late?" And they went, "Ah, oh, we thought you'd be finished." <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get out of that? You know, <laughs> you're, you're you're bloody lucky. You're lucky. I've seen a lot of acts get it, and I get it quite a lot, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't really realize this the other day, but someone said to me, oh, you, "You'd come across quite confident on stage, quite um, you know, like you would, like you're ready to to give back if someone heckles you or whatever." But I'd, obviously, as a as a comic, you don't you always feel like you're just about getting by, I guess. Uh, so I don't I don't realize I had that that aura about me when I was on. So maybe that's why I don't get so many. Heckles, I get people joining in, I guess, but they don't. There's no brutal heckles for me, really. I don't get that. Hmm. Yeah. Who's who? Who would actually you'd say that you've seen that that have gotten brutally heckled, and what do you think made them get brutally heckled? Um, I think. I think 
uh, what happens the reason people get brutally heckled is a, com- a combination of reasons really like first of all the way well, it might not be but i think most of the time it will be the person that's heckling isn't finding it that funny and then they can see uh, a, a, an inse- a lack of confidence in the performer so they feel just like classic bully really you know they they see a weakness so they feel like they can exploit it and and uh get a laugh themselves maybe that's what i see that's what i think but then sometimes it isn't that you know what before i was doing stand-up i went to a few gigs and i would shout something out because just simply because funny top up to what had just been said i didn't i wasn't heckling as such i was just trying to get my own laugh i guess i wasn't putting anybody down or or anything like that. So there's that, and then I think most of the time, yeah, for me, it's like they're, they're not enjoying it, and they 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 think you're there's a weakness there that they're going to exploit, you know. Well, one of the funniest nights I ever done, ever went to as a as an audience member was in Edinburgh. I was having a a bit of a down day. I was up there for the whole month, so it's up and down when you're when you're there for a month. Probably your diet's so bad that you're. Your mental health's just deteriorating by the day. And then I was going past the a venue and um Constantine Kissing that runs trigonometry, he came out, he said, Oh, what are you doing? I went, Oh nothing really. He said, I'll come in here and, and uh and watch this. It's hecklers. It's called hecklers, you're allowed to heckle. So I sat in the front and um I just waited until like I just said to you, I, I sensed a weakness. <laughs> and uh, a guy came out called uh, Nick Lovell, N- Nigel Lovell, you know Nigel Lovell, bowler hat guy. And um, he started his routine and he, he got to this point and he said, um, so I was driving down the road and then a, then a hearst went past me with a coffin in. And I shouted out, <laughs> I shouted out, was your mum in there? Yeah, <laughs> so, so childish, but your mum joke's always funny. And then he got like really annoyed that I'd said his mum was in the coffin and he tried to insult me back, but he was he was too angry. So nobody really laughed. And then anyway, he carries on with his routine. And then later on in his act, he starts talking about, he said, I walked around the corner and then this building was on fire. And I just shouted out again. I goes, was your mum in there? <laughs> <laughs> three times, right? Like three times. And the, the, was your mum in there just worked better every time I'd done it. And uh, that show finished and I got so many laughs doing that. Like, was your mum in there? And I'd done so well as an audience member. I actually flyered for my own show afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was an enjoyable time. And another place to go if you if you wanna if you wanna be a, a heckler and, and shout stuff out is the, the King Gong show, the last Monday of every month at the comedy store. That's great fun as an audience member. You know. For anyone anyone listening. Yeah. If you, if you wanna get if you wanna get some anger off your chest <laughs> go to the King Gong show <laughs> and just shout stuff out. Oh. Or you could also come to my Heckler's show, which is uh, the first, second Wednesday, or the last Wednesday of the month from Wimbledon. Well, have you got a Heckler's show? Yeah, it's 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 every every um it's in the second and last Wednesday of the month. The comedians oh, get Wednesday. one minute uh uh what's it called grace period. Great. 
then after yeah. that they go for them oh amazing that's great I like it. Oh, I enjoy it. It's, it's one of my favourite shows. I run it with Siobhan Dodds and... Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we've had amazing ones. Um, what's it called? She's got people to get these, these cards out, like, don't say that that's a bit cricket, or get your tits slash knobs. Ha ha, I said tits and knob. And one of the, the owner's quite a bit working class, a bit rough, and she's, unfortunately, she loves heckling people. And she heckled yeah. Andy's app, and she said... Right. Um, she said, get your <laughs> cock out earlier. And then uh, he was having a chat with someone. And then she heckled him again. And she called him a silly old ball bag. And he's, then Andy Zapp says to her, um, you can't have it both ways. You you wanted me to get my cock out. Well, why don't you get your, <laughs> your <laughs> thing out? <laughs> running that for so that's been running since december and it's it's okay. a it's a fun little show it's it's amazing it, uh, like don biswas got heckled recently um siobhan hugged him on stage because he, he was leaving yeah. before his stage came in then don got uncomfortable and then the guy says to him like you said he sensed weakness because he's uncomfortable he said he's never had a woman touch him <laughs> <laughs> and then, then Don Bishwash was was a bit stunned there. He was thinking what to do. And he noticed that it was on there like a, a gift, like a vegan cookbook or something. So he goes and picks up and he gives it to the guy who was a bit fat. And he says, you need to lose a bit of weight. You need to eat healthy after that. And then Don finishes it and says, um, oh, don't worry. Um, you, as you can see, you've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Don's great at short jokes, isn't he? He's a, he's a short, well, short, he's a gag writer, probably gag writer, you know. He is. He's he's very good. At, he's very gifted about it. I'm I'm surprised. One thing that I'm maybe he is now because he's signed by Adam Rushton, but I always yeah. thought like if if someone wants a writer for their jokes, like how quick he comes up with jokes, he's a great man yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I started off as a one liner comic. When I when I started out, I I, I just done one liners, yeah. And then um, obviously you realise in order to get paid as a comedian, you need to have twenty minutes of material. And um, at the time I was a stoner, so my memory was shot to pieces. And remembering twenty minutes of one liners was very difficult. So I started to write longer form bits of material. But then I realised that actually the best laughs come from the longer stuff. You know the the true stuff, the observations. It's the recognition laughter when people it resonates with people. They go, "Oh yeah, me too." That that's not hashtag me too. I mean, me too. Uh, <laughs> that's that. So then I just wrote more and more of that stuff, and now I don't really do any one liners at all. Uh, because for me, I'm hunting. I hunt that 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 rolling laughter. You know, that's that's the. That's what I want. That's the drug I'm after. Is the the I can't stop laughing feeling. Ah, yeah, yeah. Not just one ha ha ha. That's not enough anymore. I need, I need constant laughter. You know. So, this is something I. Do you want to get a bit controversial and maybe get me cancelled and 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 maybe? Well, I mean, there's a people that say Marvin, you prick. Go on. Well. One of the things that I've seen on the second, I mean, not on the pro circuit, but on the on the 
I see a lot of comics trying to emulate comics that they see on TV and they try and do comedy where it makes them look good rather than what makes them funny. They yeah, they try yeah, and yeah. think that they can choose. So they try and be an American comic that gives yeah. life advice or they try and yeah. be uh, like Russell Howard and say, oh, you know, the other day I went into this and that. But like you, you do what they say in recognition, but you be you. You you you, yeah. you tell stories yeah. and things that have happened, and people relate that way. You don't try and force that relatability. Yeah, I think. Where's he gone? Over there. Yeah, I always say this about um, stand up. It's such a weird um, thing. It takes ages. It takes a long time to be to actually be you, because in my experience, what happened was. I started stand-up, and I think your soul is not even remotely comfortable with the position you're putting yourself in. So you're going on the stage, and you're under all of this pressure to make people laugh. And to be honest, at the beginning, you're not that funny. So for me, it was as if my soul disappeared. The, the, the twinkle in my eye had gone, and I was no longer me, if you like. So I was just a vessel. Uh, saying words that I'd pre-written, and there was no, there was no connection with the audience. So the, then, then there was no recognition because they they didn't feel any connection at all with the, with me as a performer. And then as time went by, like a couple of years, maybe there'd be a moment in that gig where it didn't, something didn't work, and I would speak as myself and address the fact that it didn't work, and that would get a laugh. So I get a laugh for just a second from being myself. In fact, there was a there was a really good moment uh, a few years in where I was on a on a pro bill. So I was an open spot, uh, very green, very new still. Thought I was better than I was, and I'd done a gig for Richard Minnis out of Bounds Comedy. He runs gigs in Kent, and I was the only open spot on the bill. Everyone else was a pro. Kevin McCarthy was the MC, seasoned pro. Tom Stade was the closer. You know, he's Tom Stade. And Kevin McCarthy goes on, does his bit as an MC at the top, comes back into the green room, and he says, oh, it's great. You just hand them the jokes on the plate, and they take them. And then opening act goes on, he does great. And I'm in the back thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to go out there. Everything's going to land. All these seasoned pros are going to be thinking, who is this new act? He's great. Anyway, so I'll go out. I do one joke, my opening joke that works. And then after that, I, I don't know if they just knew, they just sensed that I wasn't, like I said, my soul wasn't there. It was just me speaking because I was nervous. And uh, I just died for 10 minutes, basically. And I came back. But I, there was one moment in that gig where, I said something as myself where something hadn't worked at all. I'd, I'd missed the joke up, I'd said it wrong way round and I uh, addressed it. That got a laugh. So when I went back into the green room, I said, ah, oh, I don't know what just happened, but that isn't the normal reaction I get. Because I'm used to doing small gigs on this open mic circuit and it's a lot easier and less intimidating. And Kev McCarthy said to me, you know that laugh you got, that, that one laugh is when you were just yourself. He said, when you can be, when you yourself on stage, you can say whatever you want. You know, once you've got honesty, he said, you could take a shit on stage and they'd laugh. And and in that moment, Tom Stade goes, 
Well, that's my opening joke sorted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when he said that to me, I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, that is, there's honesty. The honesty thing is, is, is what they want. You know, they want to see you as a person. And then that was one of the first moments where I realized that. And then over the years, the the time on stage where I was myself got slightly longer and slightly longer. So I could come off and say, oh, it was like two minutes there where I was just me. And it was funny. And I really enjoyed it because I was there. I was present. And then eventually over the years, now I'm just me on, on me all the time on stage. I'm the whole 20 minutes, I'm just myself. But it, yeah, I feel like your soul disappears and it just comes back for brief periods, longer and longer at a time until finally it's comfortable again. And then and then you're you again. You know, then you've got your twinkle in your eye and, and uh, you're comfortable, you're confident. And because you're comf- comfortable, the audience is comfortable. I think that's one of the biggest lessons for me was as soon as the audience can sense that you're actually affected by their reactions the the, the this game over the, the gig's not going to fly you know that for me that even if they aren't laughing you you can't look like you care that they're not laughing you have to whatever you know i don't care i'm just i'm going to say my stuff anyway laugh or don't laugh you have to have that attitude about you because they sense it they sniff it out like a rabid dog or yeah even lie to the best yeah. of your ability. Fake it till you make it, in the other sense, the <laughs> rather than the sexual way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard a story. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, go on. You were going. Sorry. No, go on. No, no, go on. I heard a story of um, from Andy Zapp about Russell Hicks, about how he bombed for 10 minutes. And after 20 minutes, he had the rolling laugh after the first 10 minutes. Have you witnessed anything like that where someone bombs for 10 minutes, but then for the rest of it is completely stormy? Um, funny enough, I've seen a similar thing with Russell Hicks. He's, he's so good that he can do that. I've seen him take a gig up here. And then it seems like it's driven into the ground and nothing's going to happen. And then bang, it's back up here again. It's like a, he can he can make it a roller coaster. And they eventually, when you, when he does that enough, when you do that enough, they they eventually trust you fully because they know the gig's never dead. They go, oh, it's okay because he he we we thought it was over a minute ago and he still brought it back to here. And I think that happens to you as a as a performer eventually so i used to think as soon as early on i used to feel like as soon as the gig had started to dip it could never be recovered but then after this is only the last few years i felt confident enough that i felt like i could almost drive the gig into the ground and i'd have something i could i could pull out to get it back again you know i, I never feel like the gig's dead I, I i went up north recently and i spent the first seven minutes just basically playing to silence. And then eventually something happened. Uh, I'd, I'd done a joke about going down on a woman. And I said to these two guys at the front, I said, do you lads like, do you go down on a woman? And then as I said it, I realized that they were gay. And I went, oh, I've, 
I probably chose the the only two people in this room that I shouldn't have chosen. And with that, everyone started laughing because they knew that they were gay and even they were laughing. And then it broke the tension that, that had been there the whole time. And then for the next 10 minutes, it was fine. You know, it, it lifted again and I, I, I was able to get them back. So to answer your question, I did it recently, funny enough. Yeah, I spent seven minutes bombing and then for the last 10, it was fine. Yeah. But it's just that it's just, you just have to believe that I'm going to get you in a minute, you know. Who's great at that is Sean Mayo. You know Sean Mayo? I saw him once in the comedy store where, where yeah, Alfie, he, yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah, he's great. He, he, he literally will say out loud to the audience, I will break you. <laughs> you know, if it's not going to use it, I will break you. And he does. And, you know, eventually he's, he's, he breaks them. That's, that's it, you know. I heard with him that he plays the, what's it called, the smarter than you, I'm smarter than you audience thing. Um, I don't know if that's the vibe I was getting from him. He, he closed my night recently, and um, no, he, he I don't mean, that's his vibe. He, he literally starts his act by saying, "I'm a horrible human being. I'm a horrible, horrible." example of a human being and then because he said that to open his act he can't really say anything bad because he's he just warned you he's a horrible human being so he plays like a a horrible human being i guess <laughs> yeah the things he says are like they're they're on the edge of yeah being a horrible human being but um i learned something recently from him actually just watching him yeah, I feel like as a comedian, one thing I love about stand-up is I don't feel like you can ever, com you can ever complete it. You know, like a computer game, you go, I completed the game. I don't think it's possible to ever complete comedy. It's, 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 an, it's an unclockable game, you know? So just, just when you think you've got it, there's a gig around the corner to say, no, no, sorry, sir, you haven't got it. <laughs> you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> And uh, I was watching Sean at my gig, and he he got this joke about uh, going skiing. And he said, when you when you go skiing, um, and, and you're skiing, you see like someone coming down the the slopes, and they were like a luminous yellow, you know, and they're side to side, really swift and and cool. And you think, okay, yeah, maybe French. Uh, but when you see someone coming down the slopes in jeans and a t-shirt. Not only do you think they're definitely British, but you also think they're probably going to be representing us at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> and then he goes into the bit of the bit that made me learn was that then he goes into the description of the comment at the Winter Olympics, and he goes, um, uh, and the next contestant is Dave from Middlesbrough, and he's just had twelve cans of Stella, a joint. And a small tube of glue, right? <laughs> and he could have just said, and a tube of glue. But he said, and a small tube of glue. And it made me go, I thought about it for weeks. It's like, oh, wow, that was such a, 
a tiny description, a little add to the description, a small tube of glue, as if the guy didn't want to overdo it on the glue. Even though he'd had 12 cans of Stella in a joint, he had a small tube of glue. But then the topper to the joke was, the commentator goes, and that's why he's going down backwards. <laughs> wow, I don't put enough description into my act, you know? Yeah, I'm getting laughed, but then I watched that and thought, I, I could describe so many more give much more imagery in my jokes and just by watching that one joke from Sean Mayo, you know, always learning. What what do you think separates someone like him and Jeff Innocent? Like what makes them such revered, amazing comics as opposed to someone who's good but not at their kind of level? Um well I think number of things really i guess that they've been doing it for years so they've just established themselves amongst everybody else everyone knows them and they've consistently smashed gigs enough times for people to, to, to go oh they are very good and then by that point uh in time i guess you've cut all of the fat from your jokes you know there's no there's no wasted words everything has a purpose and the meaning in the joke and it's just slick, you know, it's slick and they perfected the art of acting. For me, with the, when the reason that you say art and the next act is, is because we're all acting. The act is pretending that this might actually be the first time you've ever said these words, because that's, that's when an audience really laughs, is when they think you might actually be making this up on the spot. There's, is there a chance we're the first people to hear these words out of this guy's mouth. And if you can convince them that that is the case, that, that those are the funniest gigs. They're, they're the ones you're going to do the, the best at. And they've, they've mastered the craft of sounding like they're just speaking their conscious thoughts. You know, that's, that's, it's, for me, it's that simple. Obviously they're great joke writers, but it's, it's, it's mastering that, that, that act that that belief that it's fresh because it's so, it's so easy to say your jokes enough times and it eventually it just becomes almost robotic you know you don't I, I, I consciously practice that mid joke sometimes say oh yeah uh, even though I knew what I was going to say oh yeah I'll tell you what happened to me like it, it makes it sound like oh maybe you just remembered something from the other day it's just it's all the pretense of this might just be a, a stream of consciousness, you know, and they mastered it. That's what, that's what sets them apart. There's no fat on their jokes. And it seems like it might just be the first time they're saying these words, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? With the, the real great ones, they're all, they're all unique to them. It's not only their jokes, there's a unique product there. And their, their their persona is so clear and obvious as well. You know, they've they know what they are, and the audience know what they are, or what they're supposed to be. Yeah, that's yeah. Joey Diaz as well is a good example, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's... <clears throat> what what do you. One of the things I've always noticed, there's a lot of American comics coming over to the UK, stealing our jobs, 
Yeah. What? What? From what you see of comedy, like the professional comics here and the professional comics in America, how do you say we're different to each other, or are we just the same sides of a different coin? I think British comedy is a lot more subtle than American comedy. You know, it almost, uh, I feel like American comedy is almost spelling it out. It's always, always, you almost have to make it, they make it very obvious what's happening. Whereas I feel like British comedy is quite often the, 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 the performer will make the audience do a lot of the working out, you know, and then, I don't know, yeah, that I, I just think we're a bit more subtle. Brits, there we we do a lot more of our faces, a lot more of our subtle body language to suggest we're saying something that isn't actually being said. You know, if you could if you can compare it to a moment in in real life, so like, say you're in a queue in a shop or something, and there's someone in the shop being an, a prat saying something stupid, and then you you lock eyes with somebody else that's in the queue with you, and you just you know that face you do. And you both know <laughs> what's going on, but no one's speaking. That for me is that sums up British comedy. You know, it's very sometimes nothing needs to be said. It's just a a, a facial expression, or a, we all know what's really being said here without it being said. And then Americans are very, I'll spell it out to you. You know, I don't know. I've also noticed we, as yeah, what you mentioned there, we we British are very. I noticed that we tend to be a bit politer than other nations as well. Well, 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 most. I mean, I mean, I don't know about as a whole. As a summary, a lot of us Brits like to be polite about things. So if you bombed at a gig, sometimes it's you. you last time I bombed like a week ago, I had my parents come round and watch, and then. Um, I looked at the audience. If I've done well in a gig, my parents, if they see me, will let me know. But if they not really mention anything on it, then that's a sign that I've done badly. And then I look at look at the I look at the video as well, and I see that I've done badly. Yeah. That's often and I know with a lot of gigs, no one's going to tell you that you've done shit a lot of the times, unless it's someone that don't like you or you overhear them talking yeah. to someone else. Yeah. But for the most part people will be subtle about it when you've bombed and you have to read between the lines and obviously watch the video. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess Americans, are they do seem like they're a lot more blunt about, yeah, if you bombed a, a, a gig in New York, I'm pretty sure that they will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, I don't know. It's... Uh, yeah, that's all I can say with that. The word that it's just so much more subtle British comedy for me. And, and although I do love, I do love American comedy. You know, there's something about it I can't really describe. But there's a, it's got a bit more attitude, doesn't it? You know, it's got a bit more swagger. The American comedy, you know, yeah. Which have you gigged with any of the the sort of the revered ones from there? Because I hear like some. A lot, few people bumped into Louis C.K. the last year or this year. No, I never. I I know I know a few people that have ended up doing gigs with Dave Chappelle, uh, Backyard. Um, yeah, a few people. 
Louis C.K. No, I've never, I've never had the the privilege of um, sharing a gig with anyone big from the from America or even the UK. Really, well, I suppose I have the UK. Yeah, not, not actually. I know most of the people on TV now, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, yeah. It just didn't doesn't feel like they're big stars because mm. a lot of the class of my year when I started are sort of on TV now. To be honest, uh, Dame Baptiste, Mo Gilligan. Um, Sakisa and the Apollo Estemanito, all of those lot, a similar, similar time. Emmanuel Sanubi, yeah. Must help with your bloody Tom, gig. <laughs> Tom, Tom Ward, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does it? Does it? Does it feels it feels surreal for me when I see someone I know be famous. It feels a bit bit strange because you see them as a regular person, but everyone else sees them as this sort of I don't know this lovely statue in in Trafalgar Square. That's a beautiful monument of art. Oh my God! Well, you see them. Look, mate, I had fish and chips with you the other day. You eat like a Hoover. You ain't special, mate. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't know. It's weird. I've only just only. I don't know what I was doing recently, but I, it's taken me this long now to even accept that I am maybe funny. You know, I was doing a, it's like a, a realization moment recently. I was doing a gig for Lee Hurst. You know Lee Hurst? I've heard of the name. Used to do. They think it's all over. They think it's all over in the nineties. Bald guy. Um, okay. Anyway, he he um, runs a few gigs and. I was doing a gig for him in Dartford at the Mick Jagger Centre. It was a sold-out theatre of 400 people. And they'd all bought their tickets, and I was just waiting backstage for Lee to introduce me. And I was opening. And there's a little little monitor behind backstage, and I could see all the audience settling in and waiting for me to come out. And then I just thought, I'm, I've been booked at this theatre that's sold out as part of the... The, the night's entertainment for all these people that bought tickets. I must be okay. I must know what I'm doing now. <laughs> you know, these people, he's actually booked me for this and several other gigs. So I must be funny by now. I don't know. It never feels like, I don't, I don't think, I don't, it never feels like I'm a comedian, you know, even though I get laughs, I get laughs, I get laughs. And, uh, I'm just me. You know, I don't know if you, if, I guess if something's natural to you, maybe it's just what you are like anyway, uh, you would never feel like special because it's just you, you're just being you. And maybe that's that's how that's why big famous people struggle with depression and mental health and stuff because they're, you know, on this pedestal and really they're just themselves. They're just, they're just they don't understand it. They're just I'm just me. Why would, why would, anyone talk to me like that and assume I'm special. And in the end, I guess they, those people that make it big and famous, they actually can't have a real conversation with a lot of people because they don't treat them normally. They don't think they're just a human being, you know, maybe it's a weird, it's a weird um, thing. I don't, I, yeah, that was the, it took 12 years for me to realize, oh, maybe eventually I, I actually am okay. I mean, I'm getting paid for most of the gigs I do, so I must be okay. And even then, it still feels like somebody's going to come up to me eventually and go, 
hey, um, we just realised you've been booking you all this time and you're not actually funny, so sorry about this, but no more work for you. <laughs> just, uh, it feels like I'm getting by, you know, just fooling everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If is is one of the things that always I sometimes see people in comedy and they they I mean comedy's not gonna solve all the issues out there. And one of the things like with someone who's famous or whatever, the fame isn't gonna fix everything. No, the the the, the fame isn't really gonna fix anything to be honest. The money might help in life a little bit, but actually, um well, it's there's more. There's there's something else, uh as a human being, I think that nothing to do with comedy. It's about I mean, naturally we're just here to the the only way to improve the world really is to um it's not through telling jokes, yeah that might help, but <laughs> To repro is to reproduce and pass on all of the knowledge that you've learned to the next generation and teach them all the things that you wish you'd have known at that age and improve humanity one person at a time. You know, that I don't know if telling jokes is going to do it <laughs> in some way, but realistically, the reality is we're here to, 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 to reproduce and pass on knowledge, I guess. That's and this is this is veered off on a on a sharp curve from comedy, but <laughs> <laughs> if if the Russians and the and the Chinese don't beat us all up, if with all our knowledge for the next generation, then that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, that is that is effectively humanity. That is Richard Dawkins. That's a Richard Dawkins end to the podcast. <laughs> on a serious note funny enough i started ending my act on a on a i had a joke about well, it was a true story actually i don't really write jokes anymore actually that's, that's something that stopped happening i just i just tell stories i guess about life what's happened to me and how i felt in my brain at the time as that was happening because that in itself i guess is an observation when you when you express your your feelings about a situation, then the observation is other people say, oh yeah, I felt like that in a similar situation. And then there's still a laugh that comes because it's the recognition laughter again. Um, I tell a joke, a story about a guy I saw at work that had dementia. It's very hard to make jokes about dementia, but the story was funny. Um, I'll just tell you the story. So I went to a, a job once, I was fitting a carpet and in this house was an old guy with dementia. Uh, but this old guy was being looked after by his son. So I go in to fit this carpet on the staircase. And the son says to the old man, he says, listen, dad, you stay in the kitchen, stay out the way. So this old guy in the, with dementia is standing in the kitchen at the carpet on the staircase. And um, after a little while, this old guy starts looking up the stairs but past me where I am, and he's looking up towards the landing, and he's going, Dave? 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 And I'm thinking, oh, there's some guy upstairs called Dave. He's going to come out in a minute and say, what do you want? 
but this no Dave ever came out. And then all of a sudden, there was like a moment where this old guy, it was like his soul came back to his body and he was just himself again for a minute where the dementia had stopped and he was okay for a second and he, he just stopped doing what he was doing and he went, who is this Dave? <laughs> 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 and and had he done that, I, I thought, well, that was really funny, man. That was, that was a funny moment. But obviously I didn't laugh out loud, but I thought that was, that was funny. And then we finished the job and um, I've, the, the, the guy's son started sorting the money out with me. And the old guy came out of the kitchen and he started getting in the way, sort of talking stuff that nobody really understood with his dementia. And then his son says to him, Dad, you're supposed to be in the fucking kitchen, right? And then in that very moment, the the old man is like, again, he was himself again, just for a minute again. And he looked at me and he went... I'm supposed to be in the fucking kitchen, right? And be, and because he was himself again, it was like a lovely moment, like where everyone just loved his character for that second, probably more in that moment than they ever would have appreciated him had he never got that disease in the first place. And because of that, we all started laughing. Uh, the old man was laughing, his son was laughing, the granddaughter was laughing, I was laughing. And then Dave came down the stairs and he was laughing. <laughs> so that's that's the joke. There, there, is, there was no Dave, but so I used to tell that story, and sometimes it was funny, sometimes it wasn't. And then one time, another comedian, Dave Ward, funny enough, he said, "Why don't you just pretend that Dave comes down the stairs?" So then I started saying, "Oh," and then Dave comes down the stairs and he was laughing. And it, now it's my ending joke because I get to I get to talk about real life and. You know how, you know, sadness. Comedy comes from sadness, and without bad times, you don't appreciate the good times. And we need to just laugh when stuff's funny. And and um, I don't know the point I started telling this story for, but that. Oh yeah, because we ended on that Richard Dawkins moment, and um, that's it. Yeah, so that's my sort of human kind of uh, moment in my act. Uh, end of it ends with a laugh, but it's a, a sort of a humanity human story. Uh, about life, you know. So that was that. Now it's my ending joke. Bloody hell, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What? Now, for anyone that's listening on the podcast right now, what? Do you have any last words? <laughs> no. uh, what? What? What any would you? You said that. You said that like I was on my deathbed. You are. There's someone behind you, mate. No, uh, it's Dave. No. <laughs> what? What? What, um, what? For anyone that's a new comment listening, you now. What would you say to them, and how do they find out about you? Um. Well, well, you find out about me just um, Wilson's jokes is on Instagram. I've just. Do you know, I, I was so bad at social media that I, that was like my downfall almost. I, I never really posted anything, never put any content out. But as a comedian, I think, well, I guess this is the advice I'm going to give, actually. You have to be continuously, uh, consistently putting out content. You can't just be funny on stages anymore. We're at a point now, you actually have to build up an audience of your own before anyone really will touch you. Any big names, big agents or whatever. They need to see that you've already got a following, which is kind of lazy on their behalf, I guess. But yeah, so keep putting out content. I mean, I'm on, I've started religiously now 
with me, I've only just learned how to use edit on a phone to edit a video. So that was my excuse. <laughs> Bad. But I've just got a really simple edit app. So now I actually know how to quickly clip a video and make a put a little clip out. Uh, keep putting content out. I'm Wilson's Jokes on Instagram. Wilson Milton Comedian on Facebook. Don't use TikTok. I'm not, that isn't my advice. I'm not saying don't use TikTok. I'm just saying I don't use TikTok. Uh, maybe I should. I don't know. Um, advice, just try and be yourself. That's my, that's my advice. Unless you're a character act, obviously, then really, really embrace the character. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Um, actually, if you are a character act, I will say this. Don't come out of character. I've seen a few character acts that they are of a character, but then now and again they make a comment that isn't in line with the characters themselves, commenting on how badly the gig's going or whatever. But as soon as you come out of character, the, the illusion is shattered. That, that don't ever come out of character as a character comedian. That stay in character. And if you're not a character, stay as yourself. <laughs> Just be true to what you are. And... Um, if you're funny, you're funny, you know. The funny will come eventually, to be honest. That's my advice. You heard it right there, guys. Be be a straight shooter, not a zigzag shooter. That's it. Don't, don't be anybody else. Is it? If you want to be unique, be you. There's only one you in the whole world. So that's the only way to be unique is to be yourself. If you want to stand out, be different. That's you. That's it, guys. That's, That's it. That is, and with that, I'm going to write a philosophical poem. That is powerful, <laughs> man. That is powerful. That is de- that is brilliant. Whoa. So, guys, you know where to find out about Wilson. You know where to go. Give this episode a review. Give this, <laughs> give this podcast a 10-star review on Amazon, iTunes, and all the platforms. Make sure you follow Wilson. Not in his garden. Not in his work, not in his house, but on the comedy stage and on social media. That's the one. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Right. Enjoy it, guys. (laughs) 